grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Before a big game, a major battle, a big moment, a coach, a general, a leader might have some final words to send his team, his soldiers, his guys off with. Famed national championship winning college basketball coach, Jim Valvano, described how much he agonized over what those final departing words would be that he'd direct at his players before his very first game he ever coached. See, just 21 years old himself at the time, he was the assistant at Rutgers University and the head coach of their freshman basketball team. And being a native New Yorker, as he agonized about what to say, he remembered a story he once heard about an idol of his. Vince Lombardi, the Packers' legendary football coach. How before the first game of a season, Coach Lombardi would wait. He'd wait and wait and wait until that last minute before his guys needed to take the field. And he'd burst in and just pace silently and stop and look at them and say, gentlemen, you will be successful if you focus on three things, your family, your faith, and the Green Bay Packers. Well, this is perfect. Coach Falvano thought, I'll adjust this. It'll be your family, your faith, and Rutgers basketball. And so this young 21-year-old coach worked it in his head over and over just what he was going to do. And the time came that first night of the, the first game, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he got ready to burst through the locker room doors only to find they were locked. Flustered and not sure what to do. He finally was let into the locker room, and he starts pacing back and forth, and it goes just like he had thought in his head. He gets their attention, and he stops, and he says, gentlemen, you will be successful if you focus on three things, your faith, your family, and the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) In the Gospel of John, we do not find the disciples in a locker room, but we do find them being prepared, prepared in that upper room, prepared that Thursday for what was going to come that next day. In our gospel reading from John 16, we see those final words that Jesus directs at his disciples before he would pray the high priestly prayer and they'd go off to the garden. We see those last little bits of wisdom he wanted them to remember, to hold on to, to cling to. And we read that he says to his disciples, I say these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world you will have tribulation, trouble, suffering, anguish. You know, I've never seen that as a a slogan for a church. Come worship with us and you will have trouble. Come meet a bunch of troubled people and let them be your church family. And yet Jesus' words ring true. Not just for those disciples in the upper room, but for you and I today. That in this world, we will have trouble. It's not, I've overcome the world, so now it's all easy for you. It's not hakuna matata, no worries, for the rest of your days. No, and it's not even, 
some of you, the unlucky ones, might have trouble. But no, each of us, all of us, will have trouble in this world. How easy it can be to forget at times that a fundamental aspect of following Jesus, being of God's family in a fallen and broken world, means that we will have trouble. We will have suffering, guilt, heartache, and even at times, grief. But Jesus says these words not because this is a a new thing for God's people. No, after all, there's an entire book in the Old Testament named Lamentations. And even great men of God throughout history have dealt acutely with trouble. David, in Psalm 55, when describing his trouble, says, I want to be like a dove and fly away. Get out of the situation I find myself in. And certainly, part of what it means to follow Christ is that we acutely know trouble in this world. Whether it's in our families, or at work, perhaps even with ourselves at times, part of following Jesus is that you will have trouble. A few weeks ago, I preached on the conversion of of St. Paul. And of all the wonderful things about that account from Acts 9, one thing I didn't focus on was the words that God gave Ananias about Paul. That yes, he will be a chosen instrument, but immediately following that, God says to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. How true those words would be for Paul. He describes in his second letter to the church at Corinth just how much he had suffered over the years. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times beaten, once stoned, three times shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger, danger from robbers, from my own people, from Gentiles. Dangers in cities and dangers in the wilderness. Danger at sea danger from false brothers, hardship, toil, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and of other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And to add insult to injury, he describes that a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. In other words, (laughs) I know trouble. You know trouble. I know trouble. And yet we are reminded in these final departing words that Jesus gives to these disciples that trouble doesn't have the last word. No, take heart, for I have overcome the world, Jesus says. You know, this Easter season, we focus rightfully on that victory that Christ has won for us. Victory we just sang about. Victory that he brings to us freely, richly, and daily. But even in the midst of victory, as those who sit in the victory of Christ, crucified and resurrected from the dead, we still have trouble. And yet St. Paul also has a great lesson for us in 2 Corinthians, when he describes what he remembers in his trouble. 
what we can remember in our trouble, what the disciples would have to remember in the midst of their trouble. Paul writes that God comes to us and says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The trouble of this world is acutely present, and yet we are reminded of what it means that Christ has overcome the world. That even when the trouble of this world, the trouble of our lives, even makes us feel weak, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God is sufficient for whatever that trouble may be. That in those moments where we might feel weak, we are reminded that in Christ, in those moments, we truly are strong in Him. That we're not to shy away from those weak moments, pretend like trouble doesn't exist out there, but rather let God transform those weak moments, transform them into something incredible. For when we are weak, He gives us the strength. And let the trouble of this world be what God intends it to be, a momentary blip in your eternal plan, a plan that is not of this troubled world. See, the message that Jesus left with those disciples, those la that last verse, those last words he directed at them, it's fairly simple. You will have trouble, but take heart. Be encouraged. Be strengthened and remember that I have overcome the world. That when you don't feel like you know where to turn, remember I am there for you. That when you are not sure as to what's coming next, trust that I've got it covered. For in this world you will have trouble, but Christ has overcome the world. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.